Welcome to Sunburnt Country Music, interviews with Australian country music artists. My name is Sophie and I have been interviewing Australian country music artists for over a decade and I still love it. I love their stories, I love their insights and I love their music. So I hope you enjoy hearing from them on this podcast. Jock Barnes and Trent McArdle both grew up in southeast Queensland and met through sport. But one afternoon a decade ago, they jammed together and as Route 33, they have been playing together ever since. They released two albums, The Switch in 2017 and Coro Drive in 2019. They now have a new single, Summer You, and we're going to talk about it. Hello, Trent, and hello, Jock. Hey, going? How are you? How are you? Very well, thank you. Um, and I'm going to start by asking, which sport brought you together? It's actually through my brother. It's, it's through his brother. So, so his, his, his brother was a, a professional rugby union player and him and I are the same age. So we met at a, a swimming carnival, state titles, and about three months later, a rugby league trials. And it just kind of built from there. And Jock was two years younger than us. So. I was a smart ass younger brother. Like That's you it. Just, yeah, be a little sterile. And then, yeah, through the sport, we just, my brother's like, oh, you should go have a jam one time. And Trent playing keys and myself playing guitar went across there and we had a crack. And then I threw us in the deep end with a, with a local gig. Dan, and we would have sounded absolutely horrendous. Yeah, we would have been so, so bad. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't know we'd done it. And he said, oh, we're doing a gig next weekend. <laughs> we hadn't prepared anything. So anyway, the rest is history. Yes. Well, it is. Um, so, yes, you obviously did have to be playing an instrument in order to jam together. So, Trent, when did you start playing keys? Um, it was all around the sport thing again. Mum and Dad said you can't just play footy and swim and all of that stuff. You need to do something that uses your mind and so they, they threw up some, you know, some public speaking or music or whatever and just happens they knew a piano teacher. So that was muting. I would, wouldn't yeah. I? So, yeah, I was about 10 years old. Mum and Dad forced me into doing something. I said, oh, I suppose I'll go learn the piano. So that was that was how I started. So public speaking was the alternative and you're like, yeah. Right. And I said, hell no to that. So <laughs> here we are. Yeah. And Jock, for you, guitar, when did that start? Yeah, yeah, out of King Roy, just got some lessons out there when I was younger and then moved up to Brizzy and sort of, I don't know, used to just jam on the train with kids at school and stuff and then, yeah, it, you can tell from when I just sit, sit to my four chords in my rhythm section, that's about it for me. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think there is a correlation between the training you do in sport and music because it's that same expectation that it's not always going to be fun. You're not always getting to play the game or compete if it's swimming. Actually, you've got to practice, practice, practice. And the same with music, you've got to practice, 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 and then you get to perform. So I wonder if yeah. you found that actually that sport has helped you as musicians. Oh, definitely from a discipline point of view and everything. And and the same with anything sport, like the harder you train and, and you work, as you're saying, put into it, the I guess the results pay for themselves and you can actually see that correlation there. Um, and I guess the guy, same goes with music. You know, you're sitting there, you know, going away at, at, um, at scales and doing all the sort of basic stuff. And then when you actually get into using those skill sets, I suppose, then you can actually see that the benefits, same with sport, doing drills, and you actually get to see it in action when you're playing on the weekend. So I definitely can see that correlation. Uh, and and also the whole not every time you train to win something do you win it. Mm-hmm. Same thing with music releases, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can put everything you want into a release and you think it's, it ticks all the boxes or whatever and, and the ones that you don't think will go well do and the ones that you think will go all right don't. So it's I suppose it's been accustomed to being left down earlier in life. So it's You've got some humble pie in the it, oven. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So it's, it was easier if singles <laughs> don't go well now. We can pop it on the chin. You got some humble pie in the oven. I have never heard that expression before. <laughs> I just made it up. 
You can use it again yeah. if you want. So um, I, I suppose I also need to ask, are you still involved in sport or, or is music your new sport? Oh, it's hard, obviously, juggling life and everything at the moment. Sport got a bit of a back burner. Music took the, the forefront just for the weekends and that sort of stuff. So And we got too old and injured. Yeah, yeah. It's probably, <laughs> yeah, it's probably yeah, the sure. real reason. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't wasn't that we wanted to get out of it. We were forced out of it. Yeah, yeah, hobbling around. I, I, yeah. I'll hats off to these old guys that have still run, like late 30s, 40s and stuff in the footy and different things. Yeah, They're, country footy, you see it a lot. Absolutely mad. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think it's, I guess it's hard to let go of the team environment. I think and that's possibly where being in a band can can make yeah, up for, for it. You know, if you're, especially because you both played team sports. Um, you know, if you were a solo artist, you might be a little lonely because you obviously tend to be in a team. No, it's true. Obviously having that band um, camaraderie when you're going for road trips out west and that kind of stuff and having that banter and that kind of vibe, I suppose, yeah, definitely replaces that footy team kind of vibe and that sort of stuff and, yeah, I suppose we can get that sort of when everything clicks as well on stage. It's the same yeah, feeling as, as as things going well on a football field. Yeah, agree. Really. So that very first gig where Jock threw you both in the deep end, or he threw himself <laughs> in the deep end, Trini really threw you in the deep end because he agreed to it. So when you said you didn't know what to play, you didn't have anything to play, what did you come up with? Just 90s bangers. We, we just we just did covers and we didn't know if they'd work or not. We actually both didn't sing then. So how we started singing is a different story. But we both we both didn't actually sing at all. We had another singer and and um didn't have fold backs, which for people who don't know, it's it's how you hear yourself. We just put speakers out the front and who knows who knows what came out. Yeah, it was rough. It was real rough. But the crowd was all our friends anyway and our family. So our mum and dads had to clap. We had no choice. Yeah, yeah you can actually know them by name when they're walking out of the room. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you going? Where are you going? <laughs> yeah, no fold backs a bit rough. So how did you become singers then? <laughs> you want to tell that yeah. one? Yeah. Well, well, we yeah. had <laughs> I'll leave some of the details out, but we, we had we had two different singers that we used. I was obviously on keys. Jock was on guitar, um, and and they didn't mind a drink or two. It's probably the best way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> One of them was was held up by the mic stand, so he basically fell off stage because. And then the pub owner said, "Get out." And then yeah. we basically had a game of chicken on. I'll always remember the song was Wonderwall. <laughs> we had a game of chicken on Wonderwall, and so you were going to sing, and so you sing it, and I ended up singing. So that's how I started singing first, and obviously Jock. Caught on straight after, so that's how we started singing. Yeah, right. And once you started singing, do you think, oh yeah, this is this is pretty good. I can keep doing this. Oh, again, I think it was having naive to how good we sounded at the time. It was maybe probably having a bit of Dutch courage every time we sung as well helped. But um, yeah, I guess listening back now, I think we would have sounded horrendous. Yeah, no yeah. lessons, nothing, just having a crack. But uh, oh, like I'm glad we did, and, and singing's obviously. Or part of it. we've learned to obviously as we've done recording and gone to the studios and different things along the way, we've definitely learned to sharpen our singing and become better at it, I suppose. Yeah, and you're still doing it, so obviously it's working all these years later. People yeah, are yeah, yeah. People, singing. people still listen. I'll, to I'd argue it's the hardest job on on stage singing. Oh, for sure. I, I did a gig the other night up in Morumbah with Brooke Schubert, and oh, yeah. I, I just played keys with her, and I'd forgotten how much easier it was not being a singer. <laughs> I was like, give me the give Trying me to remember back. words. That's yeah, we're just sitting there doing nothing. It's the best. I need so like you're on the phone to Brooke saying, hey, Brooke, do you need a yeah. permanent keyboard? Brooke? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm out of Route 33. I was playing piano for you now. <laughs> so as you started to form the sound for Route 33, um, what artists were you listening to who might have influenced the sound? Oh, we both grew. I grew up obviously King Roy, a lot of influence from the folks, being a sort of um country music and that kind of stuff. Definitely a sort of 
Aussie country music as well as sort of Garth Brooks and Alan Jackson and the American style as well. And then obviously going to school up here was more sort of 90s rock as well. It was definitely an influence and obviously probably more so yourself, mate. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's that Matchbox 20, Eagle Eye Cherry, that whole yeah, early that was, 90s yeah. rock where, you know, we were kind of primary school to high school then. And so I think it's probably a more for those two. Having having said that, you, you, you're picking stuff off every every day these days with the way Spotify works and, and all of that, you know, you're – you know, in the morning you might be listening to to folk, and in the middle of the day you might be listening to hip hop. After yeah, listening yeah. to country, and at night you're listening to pretty eclectic mix. That yeah. that's it, and, and I think that's what's making music probably better products and mixed genres a lot better than it was probably 20 years ago because people mm-hmm. seem to stay in their lane more. I feel. Yeah. Yep. And where is Route 33? Because you obviously named the band after something. It's Coronation Drive, actually. So from Brisbane all the way out to sort of Ippy, um, where we had our first gig out there, um, and that was also The Switch, being Ipswich, was the name of our first album as well. But, uh, yeah, it's actually no not many people, even people who live here in Brisbane don't know it's actually because obviously we don't go by sort of the, the routes and stuff around here. It's the highway names, but it is Route 33, and it goes from Brisbane. And we both actually grew up. When I when I moved back up to Brisbane, came down from the sunny coast. We lived just off it as well. So it so we both now live off it. So yeah, Route Thirty Three, we probably live five hundred meters yeah. each side of Route Thirty Three from each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. worked out beautifully. At at which point in the band's history or life did you name it Route Thirty Three? Right at the start, because basically we were working with, with Tom Inglis at the time and he said, you got to come up with a band name because we had a cover band name, which was Golden Child, which mm-hmm. is a whole joke around our siblings are better sportsmen than us, so our parents love them more. But they said we couldn't <laughs> we couldn't run with that name, so we had to come up with something. And my partner was driving home from work and looked up at the sign on Coronation Drive, which is the main road out of out of Brisbane, basically, and said, Oh, that's Route 33, and that's kind of how it yeah. how it started. So the bit of the Americanized kind of name on it, obviously, because it's not how Australians use the term, but obviously the songs where we're writing and, and putting out in the world uh, the Australian-American crossover type thing. So we thought it was fitting that way, but still had that Brisbane element kind of like our Powderfinger did back in the day. Yeah, mm. right. Um, I do think Golden Child is a great name for a band. And, you know, I have a brother and I'm known to refer to him as the Golden Child. So I think anyone <laughs> Yeah, we had some fans at the start because of that reason, I think. They got on yeah, that. People started relating to us. Yeah. They're like, oh, I'm one of them. So yeah, it wasn't. It's better than Black Sheep. It's a little bit. <laughs> A little bit emo rock, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when did you start writing songs? And did you? And when you started writing, were you writing together? It was actually, we went for our first trip over to Nashville and we're sitting in Nissan Stadium over there watching, obviously, the CMA Fest, and it was unreal. And we said, let's have a crack at this at writing. We got back and we penned it pretty much straight away. And started getting but we, we never, we wrote our first song together. Black was his. No, no, yeah. but, yeah, we probably wrote our first one, Some of You was... Both of us somewhat. Yeah, yeah. And there's another one coming out called Blue Collar Man. But the first two albums, they were individual rights. So yeah. what we what we generally do, one of us will go away, come up with a concept, probably have it, call it 90% finished. Yeah. Other one will come in and go, have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? So we've, I know country such a big co-writing type community and we've done the the yeah. uh, songwriting stuff oh, with, with Gav Carfoot and those guys where they came up with same songs for Kaylee Bell and, and James Johnson and stuff, but it's never really been something we've done. So we're trying to hone that skill a bit and, and get better at that. That's so interesting that you're only now starting to write together because obviously individual writing did work very well for you, two albums um, produced. So was it just more 
a case of thinking, yeah, okay, we we need to apply ourselves. We we want to do it, and we need to apply ourselves to do it. I think it's. I struggle to see how people can sit in a room and go, okay, let's write. To, to me, it's well, we both have full time jobs that, that take a lot of our time. But that the time that I feel like writing something or a concept comes to me, he's, he's not on hand and vice versa. Hmm. And I think it was a matter of that. I really struggle to see how people sit in rooms. They must go in there surely, and and do five days when nothing good comes out. But on the sixth day, it does. <laughs> I I don't know. Maybe it's wrong, and it and it just. The creative juices flow, but I just feel like it's an individual thing. You're in a you're in a moment. You yeah. come up with a concept, and yeah. you'll, you'll do something in fifteen or twenty minutes. That's how yeah. I've always found we've kind of worked, and then bounced off the other person once it's mostly finished. Because it is a different relationship to each other, I would imagine, than the one you're used to. The performance relationship, um, the you know, the rehearsal space and everything. Writing songs, it's it's a different it's a, a different part of your brain. It's a different muscle almost to use. No, no, definitely. Obviously, yeah, it can, can be an emotional song or something like that. And sometimes you want to, you know, and, and it's a vulnerability thing as well. You can sit there and write different things and try different things without, you know, just in your own sort of world and own sort of bubble writing on your own. And then you can bring it to the table when you've got the foundation there, I suppose, to build off from. So, um, yeah, I suppose it's it's a skill set we need to learn to do more collab stuff with different people. And well, I'm excited yeah. to do with different genres. That's that's what it that is like well, me. Yeah. A lot of country writers write together. But you know, we we got access to a few of the, the pop guys around Australia and yeah, R and B and I think they can bring elements, even core progressions that we don't have. And that's what you see Chris Stapleton doing writing with Ed Sheeran's and those obviously way, way up next <laughs> cap. But they're gonna call Ed. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna call Ed, but he was busy. But th- but those kind of guys and girls, that's what they're doing now, and that's why they're coming up with these with these songs that are you know, Stapleton's latest release is almost a heavy rock song as well as country yeah, was, was, yeah. co-written with with some rock guys and that's what I think is so cool. So as individual songwriters, uh, were you both writers who would write through a lot of stuff that you didn't use to get to the good stuff? So, Trent, you were talking about, you know, when people co-write, they probably have five days in a room mm. where nothing good comes out of it. So when you were individually oh, yeah. doing that, did you each sort of separately try a few things and throw them out before you would present things to each other? Not at the start, I don't think. We've got once again the naivety's bliss thing. Literally, the first song I reckon I penned properly was "Last First Kiss." That was yeah. literally the first song I ever wrote, and I was like, "Well, let's go to a studio." <laughs> <laughs> That's literally what happened. We, hallelujah, yeah. We're, we're words. Now, now we kind of get that you got to you got to put quality forward. So that that concept of what you're talking about is more of a thing now. True, you write right. five or ten to get to one. Yeah, yeah. but back then, we're right. like that right. sounds right. good. There yeah. you go. Those words rhymed. <laughs> Well, and obviously Jock agreed, otherwise you wouldn't have gone to the studio with it. No, that's that's true. But he was naive as well. Yeah, we were both very naive, I think. <laughs> but by the time you started writing, you obviously had a, quite a lot of experience performing. You, you could probably start to trust your instincts as artists and know what was going to work lyrically, melodically and for your voices. Yeah, I think there's a lot that's said for... I'm so glad we did that five, six, seven years, whatever it was, before we did Route 33 in the pubs. And I know, and I feel like I'm watch acts, say, at Tamworth or, or CMC, they're, they're all slick, but you can go to a Tamworth or whatever, you can see the people who have cut their teeth in, in a pub or in that setting, and you can see the people at a studio-produced performers. They yeah. don't look as comfortable on stage. And and you learn to see, even if it covers the same concept, what's grabbing people, what's not grabbing people. And you, you tend to see, as a musician, stuff that we think's amazing, they don't. So we'll sit there and think of a, a solo, for example, is amazing. Yeah. And you look at the crowd, they couldn't care. They just want to get back to the words they know. 
Yeah, so right. it's about catchy licks. It's about mm. memorable words. It's about core progressions that are, are going to sit in your in your head after they listen to them once. So that's probably the stuff we were we didn't know we were learning at the time, but we're picking it up by what songs do you sing at a cover gig to yeah. keep the crowd going? Is mm. a concept we took into this. I suppose End of songwriting, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, right. So, Jock, I believe that some of you was your inspiration originally. Well, it was actually, that's the first time I saw when we did a little co-write on the chorus. It was an interesting one. I was sitting there with uh, with Perrin, our, our manager, and, and he's like, oh, guys, we're thinking sort of a, a summary sort of track yeah, is, summer song. is yeah. what we needed. And I went, oh, righto. And then we sat down two seconds later, we came up with sort of that summer. Well, you were still talking about something else. And then remember, I, I out of the blue about 10 minutes later, I said, some of you, like, get get it, like some of you, some of you. He's <laughs> like, huh? And then we said, stop the meeting. And Jock just went with his guitar into the into the back room. And Perrin said to my partner, he goes, oh, well, I'll just do that every time. I'll just give you a theme. We'll just do that every Which three months. What we struggle with is, is coming up with different with ideas. Yeah, yeah. It's hard. That's the hardest thing we feel, coming up with concept. Once mm-hmm. you have it, once I gave him the idea of some of you, took him two minutes to come up with that chorus. Yeah. That's close to the chorus you hear today. Yeah, it was, yeah. And then, I, yeah, took it from there. And obviously, yeah, then I was went and penned the, the verses, came back and we tweaked it. It was actually interesting one, that one, because the, the bridge we came up with in with Copley up at the – Matt Copley, our, our, our producer, producer, he was um, up here touring with Delta at the time and he was in a hotel. So we went up and sung the lyric vocals in a hotel room with some pillows and, and everything. It was a unique way of doing vocals. And, uh, yeah, we just penned the the bridge while we're up there. Um, Which is new for us, obviously, a lot of artists do it that way. But that, yeah, obviously not having a pre-written, not anything, and just went, oh, there's a bridge, all right, let's pen something together and record it there and then, and that's the, that was the bridge that was there. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's the, the success of that process suggests to me that maybe as, as co-writers, you should be inspirations for each other. One of you should just lob out a word. The other one can write the song. and then... That's it. That's it, team effort. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, stranger things have happened. There was an, uh, an artist I interviewed a little while ago, um, Felicity Dowd, who said that she was doing this exercise where she would pair words that didn't belong together and then write songs because of it. It was just like a little exercise and that was an inspiration that that worked. So she had a song called Honeycomb and Glue. Because she just put those two words together. And, oh, like, well, I don't think we're that good. No, no, I don't think we're that good either. <laughs> I think so we're mentioned- like some of you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, See what you did you, there. Yeah. You mentioned Matt Copley as your producer. How did you come to work with him? He was he. We got introduced him when we started with Route Thirty Three. We, we had a, a guitarist we were using at the time, and 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 you come to learn this is a big gap between cover artists. And, and probably the best session original artists in the country. Mm. Um, and, and our guitarist at the time, who was, who was pretty well known around Brisbane, done a lot of guitar teching for some of the biggest acts in the world type thing. He basically put his hand up, which is pretty noble, and said, I'm not good enough for this. Use this guy. And and he met Delta. He's now a fiancé, but he met Delta by turning up as her touring guitarist. And he was with Conrad Saul. So that's well, he was our guitarist for probably a year or two before he got serious with Delta and moved down to Sydney. Mm. Um, and then he he produced her last album and that's how that all came about because he wasn't a producer when he was up here. Right. And and he works with with uh, Tom Garnett at, at, at a 301 studio in Sydney, obviously mm. one of the better better kind of sound engineers in the country. And, and those two have done a lot of, you know, Conrad's albums and Delta's and that's how we got on board. And we just love, once again, it's that left to centre thought because he's not from the country world. Mm. So he'll put in licks or he'll put in concepts that probably – don't fit in a box of country, but that's what we kind of like, I think. You mm-hmm. don't know what you're going to come up with, but 
nine times out of ten it's better than what we wanted type thing. Yeah, right. It certainly has an extremely infectious melody, but so many of your songs do, and so that's why it interests me even more that you've written separately over over the course of the two albums uh, because that means that separately you have that ability to come up with those melodies. And as you mentioned, Trent, you know, you learn a lot in a cover gig about how to entertain an audience. So I'm wondering if you have both followed your instincts when you write melodies um, or if it's something that you've actually crafted over time. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I it's sort of always, you know, whether you're writing a poem or writing something, it's always something that just flows and hooks up with guitars. Like I always, like even before we started songwriting, I was always being the smart ass of the party, used to make up songs on the spot, taking the taking the piss out of someone and that kind of stuff. It's something that always just flowed naturally for both of us. We're actually pretty lucky in that sense. Yeah. Writing songs and stuff. Don't have to so, think too much about it. Yeah, yeah. So it's just the hook or a line sort of comes out, but then it's the sticking to it and actually following through and finishing the songs is probably where we struggle with because we get bored and go, ah, no, that one sucks, throw it out, go on to the next one. <laughs> now the song has reached over 100,000 streams, so that must feel nice. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's, oh, it's like anything. Yeah, you write something, and I was saying earlier about the, the humble pie being in the oven, like you still throw it out there thinking, oh, hopefully this one will go all right, and to actually see people gravitate towards it and grab it and, and start listening to it, it's it's obviously why we do what we do as well, other than, you know, obviously I enjoy writing, enjoy recording, enjoy playing, but actually seeing people take your songs and, and listen to it as, as much as they have and considering it's 100,000, it's, it's pretty surreal, yeah. And Trent, how does Boston feel about this? <laughs> He doesn't. He doesn't like when we practice. So. <laughs> Did he explain Boston is your dog? <laughs> yes, Boston. Yes, Boston's my French bulldog. He, no, he, he doesn't. Doesn't like when we practice. Starts howling. He starts howling at us. So he actually doesn't approve if that's if that's what he's the doing. The music at us. takes you away from him. So yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I was hoping he might be the band mascot, but given that explanation, no, not at all. No, that's it. We we keep him away as much as we can. Lock him up at home. <laughs> right. When you reach a milestone like that, does it make you feel more pressure for the next song? Like, oh, we better produce something that's going to do that well again, or does it actually spur you on to produce something that great again? I, I think music's changed the, the way people take it in over the years. So my take on it is, lack of a better term, you, you throw shit at a wall and hope it's going to stick a little bit, you know. So yeah, well, what someone like Casey Barnes or James Johnson, probably the two that have grown the quickest in Australia over the last five years you notice they're more active on their releases than anyone else. Mm. And that's what we've tried to be once we got on board properly with Parent, mm. you know, I think with four singles this year or something, yeah. four singles or something like that. Um, and so it's just, okay, let, let's go through the process. So we don't actually have time to think for the next one. We've got the next one ready to go and we're only talking about it before we came onto this came onto this Zoom. Um, okay, well, that's coming out. What are we doing? So it's mm. almost a blessing in disguise that you're not, resting on your laurels and waking up on the Friday morning or whatever it is of release and, and nervous as because one happened 12 weeks ago and there's another one happening in 12 weeks' time. You know, that's the yeah, right. good thing about the high activity and, and it shows that's how success seems to be bred when you look at how James has done it and, and Casey's done it. It's a, it's a pretty obvious strategy. Yeah, um, but it's also different to the way so many artists um, started, thinking of singles, moving towards EPs or albums, and I'm, there are still EPs and albums happening, but it is a really different way of thinking about getting your music out there. So are you still thinking albums? Are you working towards an album? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we've got uh, two more singles Yeah, um, to fully wrap up this third album uh, that we've pulled together. Well, 13 track or something. Yeah, that we put on there. And then obviously we've got yeah, a fair few tracks on there that haven't been released yet and been sitting on for a while because it's been a 
a long time between drinks for their album. So we're excited to get those tracks out as well that have been. But once been- again, you look at the concept, Casey went and released an album after he released that amount of songs. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. wasn't just two or three singles to an album. He releases every single song and it becomes an album and it seems to be a, a, a method that works. So as obviously you've got to be producing the quality songs and that's up to Nadia and Perrin on whether they are quality enough as singles. Mm-hmm. But those two come up with, hey, if we can get five, six, seven singles out of this album, yeah. then we will. That's kind of the, the strategy we're running on, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And, of course, to support these releases, live performance is a great idea. As you, as you mentioned, you two both have day jobs um, and, and uh, that can be hard to navigate when you're trying to tour. So is Tamworth a prospect for you? So we're heading, you know, the time I'm talking to you, it's December, looking ahead to Tamworth, will you be playing? Probably not this year. No, we won't be. I'm, I've got to go overseas for my sister's wedding. So, right. And last year Jock was having <laughs> his, his firstborn. So yeah. we've missed oh. Tamworth two years in a row. We did it the three years before that. So yeah, got a few things in the woodworks that aren't, aren't announced yet for next year festival-wise. Obviously mm-hmm. we can't say them because of the contract whatever. But, yeah, now we've got a few things coming up and, and, and hoping to do two or three singles on the album. So, But as as Jock said before, it's, it's all about the end result is to get on festivals and play this music live to, to people. That's where we get our biggest kicks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if Jock, if you have a, a child, then obviously you can start training the next generation or at least training a roadie. Yeah, 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 exactly. A little bit more useful in Boston. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, now also at the time I'm talking to you, Jock has to go off and be a, a, a Santa Claus in the neighbourhood. So I'm going to let you do that already. <laughs> Uh, but it was great to talk to you. Obviously, uh, there is new music coming soon, so people can listen out for that. And I'm sure it will be just as catchy as some of you. Thank you very much for talking to me, Trent and Jock Route 33. Thank you very much for having us. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Sunburnt Country Music Podcast. For more Australian country music interviews and reviews and other things, go to sunburntcountrymusic.com or to Sunburnt Country Music on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok.